Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Gary Shandling, who passed away suddenly last week. While there are many people I admire, few have impacted me the way Gary Shandling did as a comedian, as a storyteller, and as a wise, brilliant, patient, listening man. He absolutely altered comedy and television at least twice, once with It's the Gary Shandling Show, and again with my all-time favorite TV series, The Larry Sanders Show. I never met him, I never knew him, but through his work, in a way, I did. Gary Shandling was a treasure, and he 100% shaped me in some way. And I'm certainly not alone, as you've seen by the tributes that came pouring in. So I say, in my own little way, Gary Shandling, I will miss you. Thank you for being here. You changed things. You may now flip. Massey Hall and Roy Thompson Hall proudly present huge events in Toronto over the next two months. April Fool's, an evening of comedy at Massey Hall, hosted by Gilbert Gottfried, with headliner Nikki Payne, takes place at Massey Hall on Friday, April 1st at 8 p.m. And, of course, Creative Control with Vish Khanna. Hey, that's me. That's the show. We're doing a live taping with the Minotaurs and an interview with uh, that band's Nathan Lore, as well as a conversation with CBC Radio's Pia Chattopadhyay, that's happening at the Drake Underground on Saturday, April 9th at 8 p.m. For more details about physical accessibility and to purchase tickets to any of these events, please visit RoyThompson.com or MasseyHall.com. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Brooklyn, Where to Invade Next, Half the Sky Part 2, Predator, The Lady in the Van, The Revenant, Coming Home, and more. The Bookshelf is an independently owned cultural hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph, Ontario. For more information about the Bookshelf's hours, listings, blogs, directions, and accessibility, please visit bookshelf.ca.
This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzerotti, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread. Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca. That's T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. Creative Control with Vish singer and songwriter in an acclaimed American rock band called Proto-Martyr. Formed in Detroit in 2008, Proto-Martyr have released three full-length albums, including their well-received breakthrough, The Agent Intellect, which came out via Hardly Art Records in October 2015. The band has been touring almost non-stop since then, including upcoming Canadian dates in Guelph, Ottawa, Montreal, and Calgary throughout May and June. Here now to discuss some of these things is Joe Casey of Proto-Martyr. Uh, hi, Joe. How are you? I'm doing good. That's good to hear. Where Where are you? Um, I'm in my home in Detroit right now. How are things in Detroit? Uh, pretty good. We just got back um, from a very long tour, so I'm loving it. It's nice to be back home. And the weather's not too bad. It's just a little chilly, but nothing you can't deal with. Now, how is your tour? Did you play places you hadn't played before? Um, yeah, a few different. We went all the way down to Florida. Uh, last time we toured, we just went to um, just like the top of it. We went all the way down to Miami and all the way back. We really like circled all of America and then went up to Vancouver and then back to Detroit. So got to see it all. Fargo, North Dakota, we played there too. I went so. to see Bob Dylan in Fargo, North Dakota. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and I went to the Blockbuster video there and I asked them if Fargo was a popular rental and they said no. No, yeah, they don't yeah, like probably, they don't like the movie there. Yeah, because it, there's only that one scene at the very beginning that takes place in Fargo. That's, so I'm sure they're just that, yeah. that's what she said. She said it's yeah. stupid. It doesn't even take place in Fargo. It's just the yeah. one scene, and now everyone comes and they think, blah 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 blah. Anyway, it was a good show. He played a baseball diamond. Oh nice! And I've never seen. I don't know if you're a fan, but I'd never seen him. They did. They were just having fun. I saw a bunch of shows. I just happened to work out that my friend and I went and saw a few shows. 
and that one uh, they just did stuff they don't normally do and they were giggling there's something have you ever do you prefer playing outdoors or indoors do you have a preference um I prefer I like outdoors at night but that that's very rare for us usually we're playing during the day and I, I, I prefer indoors I'd say I mean, I'm a smoker so I like being outdoors because then I can smoke on stage but um yeah, I guess I prefer in- indoors. It's kind of weird because you're, the sound will dissipate when you're outdoors. It, it's like it's yeah. it just sort of vanishes in the air. Yeah, and it really you can actually hear like the crowd a lot more through talk. It's it's very yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know. I, I I can give up smoking for an hour. So yeah, I guess in, indoors is fine. right. Right. Now, yeah. as we're speaking, your state of Michigan, your your governor Rick Snyder, and your neighbors in Flint have been in the news because of the water crisis and the alleged corruption that brought them there what mm-hmm. is your take on what's happening in michigan i'm just curious if you have one well i've got kind of a uh, an insider's take i think because uh, my dad who's passed away he used to work for the detroit water department and he was a uh, construction inspector there and he always said for the longest time that you know once uh, it, people moved out of detroit and you know there was this great exodus the first thing they wanted to do was wrest control of the water department from Detroit, um, you know, the suburbs. Because, you know, the water, Detroit pumps water all the way to Flint, and Flint is very far mm-hmm. away. So it's kind of expensive, you know, out in the suburbs to get this clean Detroit water. And so they've been, you know, the city or the state government has been coming up with schemes for years about how to wrest that control away. And their new scheme, or the scheme they've been working on for years, actually, is to build a new water plant farther up north. And, you know, they can't get people to join onto this water system until they get it finished. But uh, when they have this emergency manager rule where they can put, uh, you know, government lackeys in control of poor cities, then they can just kind of force them to join up to the system. Right. And so that's what they did. Uh, and it was mostly a screw you to Detroit, even though Detroit was going to lower, you know, the cost of water just to keep Flint uh, using the water. Uh, they said, oh, we'll just use this dirty river. And, oh, we actually don't know how to pump water or don't have the expertise. And so they just poisoned a bunch of people. And it was basically just, you know, a political move. And now they're trying to pretend like they didn't know. But uh, they knew and they didn't care because uh, Flint's a poor city. Now so. you're saying, are you saying then that your father predicted that this sort of thing might happen? Well, yeah, it definitely went, well, and it's also kind of tied in because they were mad at Detroit for years, and then we had a, a mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick, that I, you know, the first time he ran for office, I voted for him because he was a young guy, um, but he was pretty corrupt, and when my dad was working at the water department, he put in a guy named Mercado in charge of the water department, and immediately all of Kwame's cronies were getting, like, bids on contracts much higher than, like, other people, and so they're getting a lot of, like, free money from the water department mm. because Mercado was Kwame's buddy and it's all this kind of thing and my dad was like okay this is no good because his job was actually to uh, figure out how to pay people uh, for work done on projects right. and so all of a sudden he was getting superseded and like his office his whole office was getting superseded by the boss saying oh no no just pay them all they want and he predicted that this was like a, for the longest time the water department was very clean and kind of separate from Detroit politics and kind of got drawn in by Kwame and he says that's the nail that's going to uh, be the thing where they're really going to try to take control away from Detroit and here we are now where they're you know, trying to build this new water system and poisoning people so it's all kind of connected in a weird 
conspiracy laden way, but well, yeah. it doesn't sound conspiratorial. It sounds like it's quite, you know. Yeah, it's pr- it's pretty clear cut, really. And, and now, is this kind of deregulated trauma basically is that normal for the people of Michigan? You don't seem that surprised that this occurred. Again, you have your dad's inside scoop, but is this normal? Well, the main the main thing is uh, Michigan is mostly run at the state level by uh, Republicans. And their answer for everything is like privatization and, you know, uh, these poor cities can't take care of themselves, you know. And it's true, like Detroit doesn't have its own share of corruption and problems, but they think, okay, well, we're going to get this businessman in and he's going to solve problems. And it doesn't get any better except, you know, now we don't have like a vote. You know, it's just the, it's not an elected official. But, you know, we've, we had like an emergency manager for a while and now we actually have an elected mayor. But, you know, they have these programs where, like, they're defunding the schools and things. Like, the Detroit uh, school system is terrible. I mean, it's been terrible for years and years. And, and the fixes are like, oh, we'll open more charter schools and more of these, like, uh, for-profit right. schools. And it, that doesn't really solve the problem at all. It's just to kind of take away, uh, you know, rights of people to vote in people that they want to run you know, public schools. What do you suppose it so. is about the mentality, either of people from Michigan, I mean, we're seeing it on a larger scale in the states right now, uh, at least I'm observing it from up here, we're all observing it around the world. There's a deferral to businessmen when it comes to political decision making. There's a, I, oh, I don't yeah. know where this stems from within the psyche of your country or the people. Obviously, it's different from state to state, but that's kind of an odd impulse to be like, these politicians are corrupt and don't know what they're doing. Let's get in a business guy, even though the, the businessmen's right. histories could be equally, if not more, checkered. Why is that a thing? Why do you think that people are so willing to trust a businessman over a, a, a politician that they view as potentially more crooked? Well, I think it's... I don't know what it is. I think it's just because we have such this... Uh, belief in the capitalist system that we assume that the people that are the masters of capital make money so they you know they can make us money you know and that's really not how government works you know as far as i know i'm no expert on this kind of thing but it just seems like we kind of throw our lot in like oh you know politicians are corrupt uh businessmen uh, they're always looking for the bottom line, and if we get them on our side, then they'll look for the bottom line for us, you know, to help us out. But, you know, if you make a businessman, I give him a job uh, that a politician has, it's like the worst of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> going to be corrupt. Yeah, like, that's yeah. what I'm saying, and I don't quite understand yeah. why. I guess it's just like, well, this this whole thing isn't working, so we'll just try a whole other thing, even if it potentially is worse. That just seems like a yeah. weird... Again, you're going through it on a national level right now, and oh, sure, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've been abro- you've been traveling the country. Uh, it sounds like you were saying earlier. Do you talk mm-hmm. to people about what's going on in their in their regions, and do you say like, can you believe this is go- like what what is happening? Do you have a sense of that, having traveled and, and hit the road? Like, what's going on? Well, what you do is when you when you travel in a band, you're not really. You're kind of living in a bubble, so you're going to meet like-minded people wherever you go. There's not, I would say there's not going to be an ardent Trump supporter coming to uh, you know, a punk show, mm-hmm. for instance. You know, maybe guys that used to go to punk shows turn into those kind of guys, um, but um, 
you get the feeling like everyone's kind of like what used when he when he first started running, you know, it's just it was just met you know, at least for my friends in my social circle with like hearty laughter. And now as it's going on and on, like it's turning into chuckles and then kind of you know, kind of a you know, the the laughter's getting more and more hollow as it's going right. on. Like is this even possible? You know, and uh I think a lot of uh, younger people I know who haven't lived as long as me, they've only lived in a world where it's been like they have vague memories of George Bush uh, second, the second being president, and they have all these memories of Obama. So they don't know that, you know, com- you know, they don't know how it ha- how it works. You know, so it's like for them, it's shocking that, you know, the candidates that we might end up having are going to be terrible people. It does know? seem so. that even seasoned uh, observers like yourself, I mean, you're, as you say, you're an older person, right. it does seem like a lot of people are taken mm-hmm. aback by this. Are you as surprised that this is happening? No, I mean, because it seems like it, it, this goes back, you know, throughout the history of America is that, I mean, the reason why Trump is so big is it's people trying to hold on to this idea of, you know, the big rich white guy uh, taking care of everything. And like a lot, of, a lot of people are saying that this is like the last gasp of like the kind of people that believe in like white supremacy uh, in America. You know, they don't. Nobody likes change. Like, let's not just throw it at the feet of you know old white people. You know, but change is you know is scary and frightening, and you want yeah. to hold on to something. And and I think a lot of it is just that he's a celebrity, and we're a very celebrity driven society, and he's got name recognition. Right. You know. Uh, I mean, people will be like, oh, Trump, I, I used to watch his TV show. <laughs> He's a funny guy. They're not even, you know, to them, the president is a, kind of a meaningless concept. You know, for a lot of Americans it is. It just doesn't seem to affect you right, in a right. lot of ways. You know, it's just like, oh, who's this, you know, it's kind of like voting for who's your favorite celebrity, you know. And so it, it's going to be weird if it's going to be Hillary against Trump because I can kind of consider them more as concepts than actual people right, at this point. Right. And I think that that's what, you know, what it's going to come down to, and it will be interesting to see. I, you know, yeah. it's one of those things where when you're young, you don't think that you're living through history. It's just when you get older, you kind of realize, oh yeah, right, a lot exactly, can still yeah, yeah. It seems very yeah. immediate now, yeah. but in three months or two months, in just a few weeks, it could be completely different. Right. Yeah. Now, your state of Michigan. I mean, my perception of Michigan. I've been to Michigan many times. Uh, I mm-hmm. find that the political spectrum seems rather complicated you mentioned that at the state level it's mostly run by republicans but there are lots of like really progressive pockets of michigan um there i've not experienced them but i've seen some films mostly by michael moore that suggest (laughs) there is a a militant right-wing aspect to the state um and a lot of this might be true of many states they're multifaceted but what is your what is your perception of the state of michigan having lived there uh, your, your whole life um, you know, it seemed like when I was younger, maybe I was just naive, it seemed like we were kind of a progressive state. Like if we were putting in Republicans, they'd kind of be like fiscal Republicans and not like, you know, uh, moral majority, you know, of, uh, Christian right kind of Republicans, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we, but I think over time what happens, like I know on the west side of the state, there's a lot of Calvinists, there's a lot of, you know, it's kind of a more religious uh white religious area and that's kind of been uh, they've been kind of running the uh, state government for a long time and it's funny because like the other day someone was like well you know you have this uh, Snyder that's one governor two times like who are the Democrats that are running against him and I couldn't remember their names so it's not like right. 
the guys that are running against uh, these Republicans are very good. You know, it's like uh, we have a very weak Democratic uh, uh, slate on you know on the state level. Um, but I think that's kind of the, the true in a lot of states. I mean, I I was surprised that we were on tour down in Texas and uh, we were getting driven around by like, an Uber driver or somebody. He's like, oh. Uh, Michigan, that's the state that loves Bernie. And I didn't realize that, like, we had voted for Bernie Sanders in the, uh, yeah. the you know. So it's like, we have strains of it, like, just, you know, because we are what it is, you know, because we were, we were a labor state for the longest time, you know. And so the labor unions have been chipped away for the last 30, 40 years. So it's kind of, like, diminishing. But we were, you know, a pretty democratic state for a long time. Right. At least, you know, when it comes to, like, voting for, you know, Union ideas and things like that. Are you so. as surprised by the upswell for Bernie Sanders? Um, I am. I, I think you know. It, I I, I kind of look at it. It's one of those things where I wonder if it is not to uh, knock down the people that won. You know, it'd be, it'd be interesting if he if he actually won the nomination. But it kind of reminds me of like when people wanted to vote for Nader um, years ago, where it's another thing where it's like, oh, this guy's like saying everything I believe in. But you, you know, you kind of. I think, especially like on something like Facebook, where all your friends kind of are like-minded people, it seems like it's almost a bubble of like Bernie can do anything. It's like, well, you know, not a lot of people know who Bernie Sanders is. Yeah, he doesn't and, have the name uh, recognition you know, somehow. He doesn't have the. He doesn't have the money behind him. You know, and we have to kind of. You have to kind of admit, at first, before like a candidate like him can win, you have to kind of change how elections are done with all the money. Right. You know? I think it's. You know, I think just because he doesn't have enough money is one of the reasons why his name's not out there and why people don't know him and why, you know... Again, I think it comes down to let's vote for the celebrity and I know who Hillary Clinton is. Right. It's funny that you invoked um, Ralph Nader because in the year 2000, I was on tour with a band uh, across the states from Canada. Uh, They were called Royal Mm -hmm. City, and by the end of the tour, we were in Michigan. And I, in Nashville, had picked up a Ralph Nader for president button. And on a Saturday or Sunday... What day is the Detroit Farmer's Market open? Uh, Saturdays? I don't know. I don't really go down there. I think it's Saturdays. It's like all Oh, is it? Okay. So yeah. one one morning we were up and, and a, I was wearing my button and a guy screamed at me. You're you're yeah. you're costing us the election. You're costing us the election. And I had yeah. to scream back. I don't even live here. Uh, yeah, I think it's a cool button. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that and I think it's and that's why I give Bernie Sanders credit because he could easily have run as a third party candidate. You know. But he chose to go through the Democratic Party. You know, he's an independent, really. Oh, that's a and good. So that's a he, good point. Yeah. I think he didn't want to nader the election. You know, so I think he kind of wanted to work through the system, and so that's why you know, I, I didn't want to compare him directly to Nader. But like, because he, yeah, Nader, like everybody was, like, yeah, Nader's great, but really he did kind of siphon off. You know, I don't, I don't think was it Gore that he, I don't think Gore would have won anyway. Well, he would have well, won. Yeah, I mean then there was the hanging right. chads and all that. Yeah, wait a minute. You I did, did you cost, cost us the I did cost you the election. I'm sorry. I left Someone saw that button and they're like, "I'm going to vote for The Green Nader. Party seemed to make sense. I liked Ralph Nader. I was a big mm-hmm. fan of his as a kid and then yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, again, you this must be Are you in a situation where the the like I don't know you very well. I don't I know your music. I don't know you at all, frankly, but I sure. know your music. Is Sanders someone you are the most in line with politically, socially? Um, well, I, at first I should say right off the bat, we've been talking politics. I'm not much of a political person. You fooled um, me. Yeah, well, I, I don't want, because, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where, I, you know, I believe in politics on a local yes. level. 
but if it's somebody that I can't go to their office and knock on their door, then it's kind of oh, beyond me. Okay. It's beyond right. my scope. You know, so it's, uh, yeah, you know, of course, yeah, I, I would think. But again, I'm like, you know, I I would consider myself, I, I, mean, I don't even know. But like, I, I like a lot of his ideas, but I wonder, it's almost like if we combine, like, I almost wish that Hillary, like, when he does, and I don't think he's going to get the nomination, but when he does... You know, Hillary would be smart to like. Okay, he's my vice right, president. Right, that's what people are speculating. You you yeah. you, you kind of hope that would happen, but the, and people were telling me I'm stupid for thinking that that it never happens. But you kind of like the idea of like, okay, let's try to combine these things, and people obviously respond to his message and like what he's what he's pushing, and maybe that would kind of be, uh, you know, combining the two would make the a candidate that you know would be all you know, right. All inclusive. Now, I, I gather that your father was. Uh, Politically minded, do you have a sense of what he might have thought of what's going on right now and where he? he my, again, like my dad, yeah, he was completely unpolitical. Oh, is I that remember. right? Okay. Yeah, but he would have, you know, he knew because he worked at the water department that something shady was going on hmm. because, you know, and so, but I think he was kind of world weary, you know. He just kind of figured, like, okay, you know, put your head down and, and work a job. For as long as you can, and uh, enjoy your family. Like if the the world outside is one thing, and if you think about it too much, it's really gonna you know put a strain on you. Right. You know, and this, if you want to do good in the world, you want to make change. You know, look outside your window. You know, don't don't try to geopolitical things. Like it's, the one thing he always said is like whenever people talk about conspiracy, uh, and they and they refer to like these grand conspiracies where everybody's working in tandem against you, is like always remember that. Those are people too, and they're just like you. But there's no right. grand conspiracies. It's just people going after things that you know. There's no secret societies. I mean, there are, but like, there's no like grand scheme of things. It's just kind of people going after their own desires. You know? Right. So. Right. Okay. Now you are. Uh, I'm. I'm curious about the state of Detroit right now. How is Detroit doing? Because over the last few years, we've we've gathered that it's it hasn't been doing very well what's your take on it uh, at this point well you know uh we're kind of in a weird spot now where uh civic boosters are telling us everything's going great and we are seeing changes to things i mean there are like i on the first album i complained that uh our street light was burnt out for years uh, and now we have a new street light right and so there's some some things happening there's definitely kind of uh, an upswing but I'm a little bit uh, worried about the kind of trumpeting of certain things and I'm worried that the focus is on the downtown area and on you know people moving into Detroit and that they're getting catered to while the people actually live in the neighborhoods are kind of getting forgotten so it's kind of like trickle down economics in a sense where you know maybe if we make you know downtown great uh, every, you know, help everybody else. <clears throat> They're gentrifying the downtown in hopes that... Right. right. Okay. And I always said Detroit was big enough that, it, you know, it's a big enough city that it can survive some gentrification. Like, I'm not one of those people that think, like, Detroit does not deserve, like, a rich part of town. Uh, you know, that, that's fine. You know, but it's like when it's when it seems like they're just trying to build a playground for the suburbanites and the newly arrived that seem to not have jobs, that seem to can like ride bikes around all day. And, you know, that's like, I'm worried about that, but I understand that that's kind of a, a universal thing. I, I just noticed from touring, 
you go to any city, I've been touring enough where you see that these kind of gentrification thing, changes are happening to every American city and they're all the same. Yeah. And that's worrisome where, you know, every city used to have like a flavor to it. And I worry that this kind of like, like urban urbanization, like, oh, we have to live in an urban environment is really turning the downtown areas or the, uh, of every city into like the new suburbs. And it's, so it's very cookie cutter. You know, you might have a artisanal coffee shop, but it's going to be the exact same thing in any city you go to. Yeah. It seems like the cookie cutter, the, the, the cookie cutter has gotten a bit, uh, cutesier and fancier. Uh, it it does seem like uh, they got wise to the fact that everyone was like, Hey, they're all these big box stores are turning every city the same. Right. But now they're you're right. Like the option, they're trying to do these artisanal places, but they right. they're still the same. Like they're the same ones in every city. So right. I can't. It's like they got a little cl- more clever about it and tried to, you know, strike that indiv- indiv- individualistic nerve. You know what I mean? And try to right. make us feel like we're we know we're independent, but it's really all the same. And and I, that is a that's kind of more insidious actually. Because you can't even tell. Yeah, yeah. It's like one of those things where it's like you're an individual. You deserve this nine dollar burrito <laughs> that uh, you know is really a funky in this funky place where there's no uniforms. But then you look and you're like, okay, yeah, it's just kind of the new the new way to sell you something. And uh, and I don't mind that. I mean, like I I love a, a nine dollar burrito just like the next guy. But I just wish like in a place like Detroit that has like this rich history. It has people living like the the worst thing ever, and uh, people are hopefully getting wise to this. Is you get people saying, and usually they're not from Detroit; they're from you know one of the west west coast or east coast. They say, "I, I came to save Detroit," and it yeah. really comes across almost like uh, you know, um, people. Yeah, it's this weird sort of complex. Like if I come there with my uh, new app. I'm going to like save Detroit, or if uh, this guy this idea that they're settling Detroit. You know, Detroit's already been settled. I mean, there's room for everybody. We have plenty of room, but don't uh, you don't kind of come in and think that you're the first person that's ever set foot on the street or something. You, and that's kind of. You know. Do you think the media is to blame for that? There's this sense, like the images we see of Detroit are a hollowed out city. Um, well, yeah, they, I mean, it's and we, you know, and again, I'm not like. We could use the tax base. <laughs> you know, sure. We could take your money. That's great. But what, when I first started touring, and I first started like just being a roadie sort of, I was basically a friend that uh, this band Tyvek would take me around. Mm-hmm. I was able to go with them on tour, and that was great. And so I got to see, you know, at go every place. And people back then were like, "Oh, I heard Detroit's like a very violent city," and it is. But that was a kind of the main thing. Like, "Oh, you guys are from Detroit. It must be really tough." And now when I go around, I hear, oh, I hear Detroit's great for artists. Yeah, and I'm you, hearing that and, too, yeah. Right, and you can buy a house for like $5. And it's like, you could, but uh, the house would have no pipes. Um, you'd have to pay uh, a shit ton of back taxes, and you're going to be in one of the worst neighborhoods in Detroit. Right. So have at it. But it's like, yeah, it's this kind of the attitude that you're going to come and, you know, I don't know. And it, it, it's it's also like, yeah, it's the media, but it's also kind of like, you know, the lazy-about artist that's looking for a cheap place to live. And it's great because, you know, it's a lot of exciting things can, can come from that, but uh, 
you know, it's an actual city. It's not just uh, the new campground to move into. <laughs> any sense, you know? You're you're hoping for. Uh, you mentioned the tax base. I mean, there's obviously infrastructure yeah. issues that are not going to be resolved mm -hmm. by people paying cheap rent. Right, right. And it, well, and it's number like the number one thing. I just like people are moving here. Uh, what jobs are they getting? And are these jobs that people that lived in Detroit could have had, or are they kind of like? I have a feeling that like a lot of them are like tech jobs that you know well like for years in Detroit like when I graduated from college everybody no one I knew and that was from Detroit except for a handful of people would go back to Detroit I was one of the, the dumb few right. most people moved to Chicago or New York looking for jobs uh, it just wasn't like kind of uh, if you were a college educated person there wasn't those kind of jobs in Detroit um, and so I kind of wonder now, are there more of those jobs coming to Detroit? I don't, you know, is it all just like a show? I, I can't tell. Well, that's that's so. kind of interesting that you're there and you can't tell. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more young people. Uh, and I think there is, I know Quicken Loans moved to downtown Detroit. And I know a ton of people that work there. But that's kind of like, oh, you're working for like a, a, a place that gives out loans. Right. <laughs> to who right <laughs> and 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 uh what are they paying you know like it's so it's kind of like this kind of weird cycle i don't know you mentioned that your city has a, a rich history it has a rich musical history it has a tremendous that that music has a tremendous worldwide influence and it it runs the gamut from underground garage rock and punk to motown and pop how has the city's mm -hmm. music uh history impacted you personally is there a way to encapsulate that uh, I would say right off the bat, uh, I didn't really know about, you don't really know about your own city's musical history. Like, it took me well into my 20s to kind of realize that, like, Detroit was kind of a special place for music because you just, you know, you figure everywhere you go, there you are, you know, there's going to be, like, I've said this before that, you know, I, I liked Motown growing up, but it was everywhere, you know, it'd be like, if you're waiting in the dentist's chair you'd be hearing Motown if you know the car commercials had Motown so you didn't really realize it had such an international effect you know Motown was just a shitty museum you know down the street <laughs> but now I can appreciate like oh it's a really great museum because it's just a house right. you know and all, all that music came out of just a house and uh, you know you, you don't I, you know, it's one of those things where you, you go to every town and it's kind of that. You, it's only like when we first went to Europe where people, you kind of get the feeling, oh, these people are coming to see us because it says we're from Detroit. And people are really invested outside of Detroit in Detroit music. Right. You know, it's a little bit different in Detroit. What, what makes Detroit great is there's places to play. Um, it's a scene of people that like to have a good time and, and will be supportive of you. Um, but you, it's better be a cheap show because if you're not if you're charging more than five bucks, no one's going to show up. There are there are know. certain cities because of their geographic location that feel shut out from touring circuits. Mm -hmm. Like a city like Halifax, is, it's still like if a band comes to Halifax or St. John's, Newfoundland in Canada, people are very appreciative of that. Has De sure. Detroit? It's always busy, right? People are always coming to Detroit. Uh, yeah, but we always get them on weekdays. Um, because they're either going to play Chicago on a weekend and they're heading to Toronto or, uh, you know, and for a while, I, especially after 9-11, when the borders got really tough to cross, people were to skip Detroit. Oh, right. Yeah, and, and we still kind of get that sometimes where like, people will play Chicago and then play Cleveland, 
and it's like okay well you, you skipped us right so we did get that we were kind of isolated and have been you know where people would come it seems like from my limited knowledge of musical history it seems like in the 60s and 70s it would be like a really big rock and roll market so every band would have to play yeah. there in, in Detroit now it's less so I'd say I think people you know because maybe rock and roll isn't so lucrative people you know can skip Detroit are there were, were there particularly were there were there artists who visited Detroit uh, and whose shows you went to where that, that had an impact on you and I, I only ask this because I don't know if there's any chance you were there but for instance I went to a show in Detroit in 1998 that was at the State Theater which I, I think it has a different name now no, it's the Fillmore, yeah. That's right, and it was uh, it was it was Blonde Redhead, Shellac, and Fugazi. Were you were you there? I was not at that one. I did see Blonde Redhead at the Shelter once, like around that same time. Okay. And they were that they were the headliners then. That was and the Shelter is below St Andrews. Oh, okay. And the Shelter would be like where I'd go see shows, like in high school. Um, it's uh, famously in the Eight Mile movie is where they had the final rap battle. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it was a you know that like the St Andrews and the Shelter were like, kind of like where you go to see in the basement like the weird, weird shows like the touring, weird shows and like where you go see like punk and, and those kind of things if you were a kid because those were like usually all ages shows. Okay. Yeah, but that I remember seeing Blonde Redhead there, and I remember seeing like the, the head coats there and you know lots of. Uh, shittier punk bands <laughs> but the, <laughs> that would be like yeah that'd be a place and then there'd be like other like Zoot's Coffee House later on would be like the place where you see kind of local weird bands and like local like or weird touring bands like the makeup or something would play like Zoot's Coffee House and was that and, impactful for you to have these people come into Detroit uh well again at the time I, you know you don't I didn't really I'm like oh this band that I that I got into a month ago is coming through town this is great <laughs> and then <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And what I liked about Zoots is like if you go there now, like Zoots is no longer there, but like that neighborhood used to be, it was like the Cass Corridor, and uh, anybody old enough has like a scary story about the Cass Corridor, and it was a rough and tumble place. It was a rough and tumble place when my dad moved here in the fifties, uh, and now it's, it's really starting to change. I mean, that's where like the Third Man Record Store is, right? And and Third Man's right next to Shinola, where they're selling like. $500 sweaters and things like that so it's like that neighborhood really is changing a lot but when, when I was a kid I remember going down there and, you know I'm from Detroit I've been in Detroit my whole life but I remember going to that part of town I was like this is a scary part of town <laughs> you know and you know and then there was another place right around the corner that was just like a 
like a box room and that's where like hardcore bands would play and I wasn't too much into hardcore but occasionally I'd go to see shows there too but I wasn't much of a showgoer in my younger days no okay you didn't what what, what did you spend yeah. your younger days doing instead of going to shows uh, staying at home and crying no uh, <laughs> wa- wa- yeah, watching a lot of movies I was kind of a movie movie guy oh really what, what, uh, do you have particular filmmakers or particular films um, I well, I went to school for film, and unfortunately, it was right on the cusp where we were still learning how to tape film together. Uh-huh. And then right after, like I remember, they're like, "Hey, check out DVDs of this new thing." <laughs> you know, it was just coming like when I was in college, and like digital editing and that sort of thing. And uh, but no, I, yeah, I, all, I, would, I would bore you with all like, oh, all the greats. No, yeah, <laughs> you know? sure, sure. No, I just yeah. I wonder because I I wonder if that kind of stuff it probably informs your. Uh, voice as a songwriter on some level, sure. right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely, yeah. I try to on certain songs. I'm like, okay, I, I picture it before I write it. You know, as far as like visuals, right? And things. Yeah. Okay. Now you yeah. you earlier you mentioned something that I thought was interesting. You mentioned that your dad was uh, somewhat world weary, um, mm-hmm. and I think some people have thought that about you <laughs> and and, right. and your aesthetic. So I don't know if it's a a family trait. I, I also, I, I feel like some people, we've talked a lot about hard stuff so far, and right. I feel like some people are less surprised by bad news than others. Sure. <laughs> do you do you yeah. consider yourself more of a pessimist or an optimist? Does bad news actually surprise you? Well, it's, it's kind of this weird, like when I say my dad was world, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like his house was full of depression. It was a very up, up fella. Sure, you sure. Know? And I, and I like to think I'm the same way. It's just that, you know, when, when bad things happen, you don't pull your hair out over it. I mean, you kind of know that that's, like, the way the world works. And you just kind of get down to what you can do. Right. You know, it's not like... Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think about... Like, I, I I don't know if it was, like, the Irish thing or the, you know, what, what the influence was. Or, you know, kind of, in a weird way, being kind of a minority growing up in Detroit. Um, or what, you know, what the where all like my personality comes from but it's just kind of like you know don't don't be too big on yourself uh you know be nice to people and you know don't uh yeah don't uh don't tear your hair out don't uh, don't cry about it well yeah and that there's you're almost quoting one of your own lyrics right now um i just mm-hmm. noticed but there there's a thing that you do it seems with darkness which is to find mm-hmm. the humor in it um, humor sure. seems to be a big part of how you deal with that stuff. Yeah. And I don't know if that's, uh, you mentioned some cinematic uh, influences, uh, but sure. is comedy a big thing for you? Like, are you a, a particular fan of particular comedians or kinds of comedy? Well, just to go back like to the, the film thing, like, uh, you know, not to, I feel like kind of pretentious, but like, or I, at a young age, I was like, okay, the Coen Brothers, I like, you know, the fact that they're funny, but then they also do like these kind of very, not dark, but, you know, like the inside Llewellyn Davis or whatever was really about failure right. in a sense, and you, you don't often see a movie that's about a, a main character dealing with failure, and there's not like a happy ending, but it's not like a depressing ending, you know, it's not like a Lars von Trier movie where it's just piling up the depression <laughs> sure. you know, it's like everybody can go through this you know you can be very talented and uh, be very good at what you do and not reap the rewards you know that life is supposed to offer you or you think life is supposed to offer you 
so like the Coen Brothers, I like kind of their tone. Uh, even you know, there's like a lot of laughs in, in that movie, but it's also like almost a masterpiece of of failure. And you know, like uh, in Fellini movies, are often there's funny stuff, but a lot of them are very dark themes about you know death and and accepting things and. So yeah, but I, humor's got to be there. I mean, I I I'm not a goth. Stretch <laughs> the imagination. Sure, yeah. sure. And, right. I mean, it just seems like you know. I, I hate TV shows or something where, or where someone's like, let's say they're a crime fighter or they're fighting crime, and there's never a moment of frivolity. Yeah. You know, you know, even throughout the day, you know, you're gonna, even the sternest person is gonna find something funny. You know? Well, to not and do that is to shut off a uh, human dynamic, isn't it? Right, right. Yeah, it's just, it just seems it seems uh, unnatural to me, or not, not right. reality. Okay. You know? Now, I had mentioned that the age mm. and intellect led to a proto-martyr kind of breaking through last year, and I don't know if mm-hmm. you want to dispute that, because I know that people have different uh, interpretations of what breaking through means. How would you, how would you right. characterize the moment your band... It seems to still be having. It seems to have started with this record in particular, um, but uh, there was something building over the last record too. But this, sure. you know, you know what I'm talking about. New York Times, blah blah blah. There right. seem to be more people uh, who are in positions of uh, whatever power or mainstream. You've gotten more attention. Mm-hmm. How would you characterize this? Well, it's when people start assuming that your life is different. You know, when they start saying, "Ah, how are you handling this?" And it's uh, then you start thinking, huh? How am I handling this? Because it's very intangible. You know, it's not like um, I'm getting a paycheck slipped through the door every day. You know, it's still um, it's still kind of the same but bigger. I mean, I would say that I can definitely appreciate it and feel that we're lucky in the fact that now when we go to some place like Fargo, for instance, there's actually people there to see us. You know, we've done tours before. People like maybe vaguely know who we are, or and those are only fifteen people. And now, like you know, the crowds have gotten better, or as far as like knowing who we are. Sure, but do you think that people have a mistaken uh, presumption about what media coverage means? Meaning, yeah, I think, yeah. Do you know what I'm, where I'm going with this? Sure. Where they assume that yeah, because you get good reviews, that somehow like changes. Like number one, like uh, your success, like does that equal success, or does that lead to like monetary or rewards? And it, it doesn't. I mean, I it's it's always great. To, I I think when more people have the opportunity to hear your stuff, but it really uh, hasn't changed my life except now I can't have a job because we're touring so much. Yeah. And the reason we're touring so much is so we can have enough money to not work, and to and we figure like a band that releases music and doesn't tour like a dog uh, doesn't kind of deserve to be considered a good band (laughs) is that what I mean yeah I do know what you mean Uh, I can see why you don't you this is what you'd prefer to be doing right yeah I mean we want to do it you know it'd be nice if I could uh, fart out a record and and sit in a a barker lounger and have money you know shooting to my face but it's just (laughs) not that's not how it works and I, there was a funny moment where we were in, in Europe someplace, and I forget the fellow what band it was. He's just like, we were kind of standing by the merch area and people buying T-shirts and things. And he's like, yeah, you know, I really got into music to sell uh, clothing. <laughs> but that's really what you end up doing as a band is like really your only uh, 
tangible like okay we're making money is how many shirts you sold yeah that's, you know that's it not not how many records you know because the records usually you have to buy them from the record company to resell them and i i've yet to receive any money from like a spotify or something so i don't know if that you know yeah. you know and then on you like then there's things like youtube where people can listen to your whole record and you're kind of wondering like is this illegal should i tell them not to do it like i don't you, you don't know because you're not getting any money from that so you, you don't know if you're successful or not until you have to print out new t-shirts really that's it's, right uh, because the t-shirt sales would also suggest that more people are coming to the shows right yeah they're coming to the shows and perhaps they've either bought your record before or maybe they illegally downloaded it you know who knows but they're coming to your show and they're buying your t-shirt and you think okay and you don't want to become a t-shirt band but you do want to you know go to the next town and have some money for food so that's kind of what you gotta do this does explain the excitement i have been hearing from people who do merch and come screaming at the band hey we sold 30 t-shirts yeah, no, no, because you can immediately, you think to yourself, okay, well, last night we only sold 15. Right. This is a good, yeah, and, and you're kind of doing this, these calculations, and, you know, then you have the amount of, like, emails we get, like, hey, can I buy a t-shirt and not go to the show? And, you know, for a long time, like, no, like, we'll never sell stuff online. That's stupid, you know, the, the t-shirts are for people that come to the show and come to see us. But now that we don't have a job, like, when we're, like if we have a break in touring, it's like, well, should we open a store and sell these T-shirts? You know. Yeah. So it's that's it's amazing how much uh, clothing becomes like your main priority. <laughs> that is. <laughs> so that's I guess that's a level of success. Yeah, like it's not all about the music. Now. <laughs> it's, not the, it's about the music and the T-shirts. I've I've yeah. seen your band uh, twice now, and it's yeah. very impressive. I really enjoy seeing it, but I it also is quite enigmatic um, in your stage presence. There mm-hmm. seems to be this collision of total commitment and passion with seemingly casual indifference to right. what you're doing. And I'm, I'm wondering, are those things you're conscious of conveying? Is that just who you are? The indifference is definitely a byproduct of me not knowing what I'm doing. And I kind of want to keep it that way. Like, I don't ever, like... It's nervousness and knowing, like, okay, I got a job where these people are coming to hear me, and I, I have moments where I, I'll be in a van between shows and kind of like think to myself, "Holy shit, Joe, you're a singer in a band," <laughs> and I'm like, "Wait a minute, no," I, I kind of like have like a, a shocking, you know. So it's like, okay, I have to perform these songs, and. Um, I don't know how to do it, so I have to figure out how to. Like each night, I have to kind of redo it. You know, um, is the is the indifference a defense mechanism then? The indifference is just like knowing, like turning off the part of your brain that's like I gotta entertain these people. You know, I gotta dance. Right. You know, I gotta. You know, I gotta point. I gotta. I gotta do something. I gotta hold the mic <laughs> uh, a certain way. It's uh, it's trying to figure it out as it's happening, and it's kind of like my. I think what people are seeing is actually the gears in my brain kind of turning very slowly like oh okay you know but also trying not to screw up a song and like okay i've got uh how many seconds before i can okay i can i can drink a beer here i think oh oh here comes the next part i have to sing you've got a lot of stuff to think about as the front guy yeah well it's weird yeah I, i wish i could turn my brain off and um so yeah where where did your drive to perform come from like do you have any history of public speaking or presentation none none at all i mean, I, I was talking to a friend uh 
who I met after years of, uh, she was a camper at a, a summer camp that I worked at where I was like, for the year that she was there, I was like the programs director. So I'd come out every morning like, hey kids, and welcome to camp. And it's funny thinking about myself now, like 20 years, that was 20 years ago, where I was kind of like the, the, the showman for this group of like 50 kids. Uh, that's it, though. And then for the next 20 years, I didn't do anything. <laughs> so it's, it's mostly just like uh, it just I, it was basically like I keep on saying this time and time again, but it's this truth is that I toured with the band Tyvek and they're good friends of mine. And I saw how much fun they were having. And and I was like, oh, I could probably do that. And that could be something I could do. And it was kind of like after my dad died, I was like, Joe, you're you're in your mid thirties now. This is getting ridiculous. Either you better do something that you know. Because for years I'm like, oh, I'm an artist. Oh, I'm a, a writer. Oh, but I never would write. I'd never like do yeah. any art. I was like, I was like, okay, hey, Joe, you either got to do it now or get a job and just you know stop, you know, lying around and doing nothing. So being in a band was kind of okay. I could do art and I could write and I could. And I might as well do it. And but I shouldn't put too much stock in it because I'm a, not very good at it. But luckily, I you know met the band and and they were like nice enough to put up with it's, me. I presume and, you're somewhat yeah. surprised at how much what you're doing is resonating with people. Yeah, I mean because like there's so many bands in Detroit that are just as good, if not better, than us. You know, have like better chops, have a better singer, but it's more. I think it's with dumb luck. It's uh, we met the right people at the right time, and that we actually can tour. Yeah. Which a lot of a lot of bands can't do, and so that's why like the grind of touring is like something that there's enough joy in it um, that it's worth it, you know. But you have to approach it as this is a job; it's not like a vacation. Right. Yeah, you're not really traveling. When you say you're you live in a bubble on the road, it's really true. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, we uh, we could go to Rome and not see Rome at all. <laughs> you know, you could go to like we went to Paris once, and we uh, the first time at the Paris, we were kind of like on the the outside of it. We went, uh, they actually, the great thing about Europe is they always have to give you a place to stay. So we had a hotel. The hotel, we walked from the hotel to the show, played the show, walked back. Next sun comes up, we have to drive out. So you, we saw really right. nothing of Paris. And that's that's the reality, and, you know, yeah. And pe- yeah, and people their whole life, you know, you know, before I was in a band, I went, oh, I would love to see Paris, you know. So I, I, I'll never go to Paris, you know. And you get to go, but you don't get to see it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. So. Well, hopefully you can, yeah. did you like, did you get, did you well, like going to Paris or uh, it's uh, there's like some sort of syndrome uh, I, I don't know the exact name of it where people think of Paris in a certain way I think it's like mostly Japanese like I think it's like a, a Japanese oh. concept where they had this uh, concept of Paris as like the city of lights and the city of romance and they get there and they see all the dog shit on the ground and they see like how it's just like any other city but with like a couple yeah. pretty parts and they get like massively depressed <laughs> because it's almost like that's like the dream is to go to Paris and eat a baguette and you know see a mine and then when they get there it's like not like that at all and they're like oh my life so i right, want to avoid right. that so you're you're you i know, think a, yeah. a, a very personal writer but you're very artful about it and and we live in a very direct accessible time when it comes to uh relationships between public creators and their audiences do you do you actually enjoy mm-hmm. the interaction with strangers who are processing you and your work uh most of the time like I try, I try to uh, not have like a a a 
internet presence as much as I can. Like where I'm like, hey, let me tell you, fan, you know, and I'm still getting used to the idea of like going to a show and having people say, hey, Joe. And so I turn around thinking, okay, this is somebody I must have met before right. because they know my name. And then it kind of clicking like, no, they know me because I'm the lead singer of the band that's performing. Weird, tonight. right? That's a weird, you yeah. Know. Right, it is, yeah. And we're, and I'm, I'm, I always get frustrated when there's three people that want to talk to me, or not even talk to me, just say, hey man, great job. And I go, oh, thank you very much. And then someone else says, oh, great job. I say, oh, thank you very much. And I'm like, why, why am I doing it the same way? Like I should give each person something personal and like because you know they're going out of their way to say I did a good job you know and I find myself like reverting to like the same thing and that frustrates me you know because I I don't want to be fake but I don't you know it's kind of a weird it's a, one of those weird battles that's I guess nice to, to have to, to be fair to you Joe they're also all saying the same thing yeah yeah well then sometimes they say something weird and it throws me off I'm like what, what <laughs> I said I, I said thank you very much. Now get out of here. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, you know, it's it's one of those. It's, it's a good problem to have being in a band. It's nice that people like you afterwards. I, you know, the people that don't like you don't come up and say, "Hey, really bad job tonight." You know, they they, they just leave. You know, they leave in disgust. There, there's a sense among some people uh, the, uh, who are fans of things that they might know the person creating the thing better than most people. I mean, in sure. some ways, you're conveying things in your songs that you would never convey to maybe your closest friend, right? Right, right, yeah. So yeah. on some it, level, some of these people know you really well. Right, and and they are picking up on things that they should, and it's kind of one of those things where, you know, and I've had the same problem where, you know, I remember, you know, being fans of, of bands when I was younger, and you feel like, I really know Shane McGowan. I bet you if I met Shane McGowan, I'd really, you know, but <laughs> would Shane McGowan want to talk to me? Probably not, you know. But so you you kind of want to you know be there for people in a sense you know but when they really start talking your off you have to kind of like oh, okay I, you talk to me more than my friends talk to me so <laughs> I have to leave now. have you yeah. had the chance to encounter people you admire since the band status has sort of risen in the last little while uh, I've I've met uh, Dave Thomas from Perubu mm-hmm. and I you know I didn't bother him at all <laughs> I tried to stay out of his way. Uh, and that was kind of, he seemed to live up to like what I thought he'd be like. Um, and, you know, a rascable and a personality. Um, and just like, you know, besides that, not really. I, I like, right now, what I really like is from touring and going, like, South by, we just got back from South by Southwest, which is not much fun. No, it's not. It's horrible. Sorry, I don't mean to disparage it for people who like oh, it. Oh, no, no. You're exactly right. But. <laughs> What you do is you do that, and then you go to like one of the unofficial shows, or you hang out after it. And on the outskirts of the actual clusterfuck that is South by Southwest, there is you do get to see friends from all over the world, you know. And so that becomes like, oh, I'm hanging, you know, I get to see this band, and I get to party with these guys, and it's just it becomes. That's the good part is you get to see. I like being in the the group of current bands right now and meeting these current bands and comparing notes and like how you doing and like what do you what did you do to do this and you know right. that to me is the is the best. I'd like to meet my heroes, but I think they're all gonna let me down. So I'd rather like meet to hang out with bands like you know the Cloud Nothing guys, what we're good buddies with now, and the Parquet Courts guys and Chastity Belt the girls who just went on tour with them. 
it's one of those things when it was the first time we toured with him like the first day we're kind of like awkward around each other and by the end of it we're like we're best friends you know? <laughs> so the, the, like those kind of things is like you know contemporaries is what i uh, i get yeah i can see right that now. i can see that now when you do mm-hmm. interviews or discuss the band publicly do such things prove to be instructive in your understanding or appreciation for this band no i mean because i think it's still it's still the same i mean we did like this this week uh i don't know if i can say what it's for but we like we came back from south by southwest on uh sunday and we have to come up with a song by tomorrow <laughs> recording it tomorrow and it was almost like we're sitting down in the basement like all right we gotta come up with a song like and i think i was i think we we're all worried for a moment like can we do it again like do we have you know, especially the clicking clock, you know, clicking, a ticking clock. Yeah. And then we just, all of a sudden, you know, we kind of locked into the old the old way of doing things. And it sounds like the song we're recording tomorrow is going to be insane and, and fun. And so it's like, okay, yeah, like it doesn't, the outside world doesn't affect it. It's still going to be another terrible protomotor <laughs> song. Is know, it? Done, done the way, done the way it's always been done. You know, so external so. stuff isn't impacting the way you two, or rather your your band uh, works together and, and functions. Right. No. Not 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 one no. bit. You know. And, and and so that's good. Like the actual core band uh, dynamic has not changed, um, and the way we go about the business amongst ourselves is not changed. And, and in fact, some of the perks of being a slightly bigger band have actually kind of helped us. Right. Like we we now can because we're playing certain shows we can afford someone to drive, and be a tour manager, and that is like a godsend I think for any band because, before we'd always have to pick like who's gonna be the guy that drives right. today and they become the de facto leader, it within the band, and that's always like a trouble because like let's say I want to hang out and talk to somebody for a while and that guy's gonna be like, no 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 we gotta go, you know. And then yeah. you know, screw you, you're the you're the bass player, or screw you, you're, you're the drummer. I'm the singer. <laughs> it becomes like this weird. But when you have another guy, it's just the driver, then he can boss you guys around, and you're still the band. You're all together. Yeah, that's yeah. true. You're absolutely yeah. right. So uh, that's just one of those things where ah, that is why you want to have a driver. You know? <laughs> Before I'd be like, no, we're a punk band, like we drive ourselves. But no, that really, it's going to save us in the long run. It does help. Yeah, I can see that. I've road managed. I enjoy it, and yeah. it's, it's fun we're, bossing yeah. people around. You are your godsend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the song I, I know you can't talk about. Is it an original song then? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I just wondered if it was a cover or something. But Mm-mm. okay, cool. That's great. No, so yeah. it'll, we'll hear it at some point. Uh, yeah, I think there might be some saxophone on it. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're just inviting. We're, bu- we're inviting a bunch of friends just to come in and and uh, improve it. What we came out within a week, so hopefully nice. We'll be good. That's exciting. Yeah. Now you're playing some smaller markets. Uh, I noticed, that particularly in Canada, was yeah. that was that your call or the agents? Like, are, are small markets important to you? I, they are for us, and I know, like, and I think that's kind of. I think it's it helps that our our, our booker kind of knows what we like, and uh, it's. It, I think it's important to you know play the smaller markets because, like, I know when we played uh, we played Hamilton. One time they're like, "Oh, thank you so much for playing Hamilton and not just always going to Toronto." Yeah, you know, and like, yeah, of course. And like, yeah, it's because like, I have the same feeling as kind of being in Detroit, even though it's like a bigger place. It's like, yeah, don't don't skip us. And I think play like, we've had some of our best shows in some of our, you know, what we consider a smaller. We play like uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and it was like one of the best shows we've ever played. It was like on a Sunday, 
it's a college town, but college was out, and it was on a Sunday. We're like, this is going to be terrible, and it was like one of our best shows. Right. So it's, it's, like, it's people who aren't used to. You, you've, you, I'm sure you've found this in a larger market like Toronto. They're spoiled. They're lousy with great shows. Right. Whereas yeah. I'm calling you from Guelph, where you're playing, and we have great, yeah. we have a lot of. It's a vibrant arts community, but we're all very excited that Proto Martyr is coming. I mean, the people who know the band <laughs> are, are very stoked. And then the people that don't know the band would be like, eh, there's not much going on. Let's go see this show. Who cares? Let's have a good time. Yes, exactly. They're appreciative right. that's, that there's something going on. So Right. Whereas like in the bigger, like in New York, like, you know, it's great. We love playing New York. We, you know, we have a lot of great people there and fans. But there is the aspect of people coming in, tweeting about seeing the show and, the, and then going someplace else. Right, right, right. So yeah. the people that, ca- yeah, for whatever reason, the smaller market. Well, no, we know why. We know why the smaller markets right. tend to care. There's passion there, so right, and they and they also want to have a good time and they're and they're starved for entertainment, too. That helps. Now, do you, you know. do you know anything about Guelph? Just that I'm always worried to pronounce it that I get I pronounce it wrong. That's about it. I, I know roughly where it is. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's a nice city. The Constantines are from uh, were, were yes, formed that, here. Okay, now that's that 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 rings yeah, and that's I think one time someone says you guys remind me of a uh, a, a shittier Constantine. So I was like, <laughs> I'll take that. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good you know you hit the nail on the head. Are you are were you are you actually a fan of that band? Um, it was one of those things where like one of my friends was like a huge fan and then he's like oh you guys kind of sound like the Constantines and I was like oh, you know I've never like I vaguely remember them and I remember hearing one song that I like I'm going to go back and listen to them and I'm like oh this is really good nice that's, that's always the best when people try to compare you to something you haven't heard before and you're like I have to listen you know I have to check this out and see if we do right and then it's always like, oh, this is great. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, we're, it, the, the comparisons come up a few times. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, um, you mentioned that you're recording the song tomorrow and we've, we've established there's a ton of tour dates. What else is coming up next for you and your band? Uh, well, yeah, after this, we go to we start a European tour uh, next Tuesday. Then we come back and immediately, almost immediately do these Canadian dates in New England. Then I think we have a little bit. Then it's just gonna be all these festival dates, right? Like in America and and also yeah, we're playing Sled Island and like I'm looking forward to Sled Island. I think that's gonna be. It seems like it's like, as far as festivals go, like a good. It's one. a wonderful, it's wonderful festival. Yeah. It's great. I yeah. had a great time there. The, the one I have only been once, but it was amazing. And the lineup, this year is uh, really bonkers. It's great. Yeah, and so I'm looking for that. And then once all this touring is done, which it might not be done until like November uh, then the idea is that we start coming up with new stuff again because we're not a band that can come up with music on the road um, just because we kind of need to have the time to be embarrassed in front of each sure. other so we can't like you can't really do sound check like, let's work on a song because we hate sound like sound check is we don't hate it but it's like something you have to get done with right. you don't want to like have the sound guy having to sit around you know you want to get it done so we won't be able to write any songs until we get back in I think October November or something okay. and then plug away again are you, are you a guy that writes on the road or do you write against the music like does the music come first and then you start writing uh, the music comes first but like, I'll jot stuff down but not like fully formed just kind of like I'll have like a, a notebook that will well I'm always worried I think I, I told my friend that watches at my house when I'm gone I'm like if I die burn all those books because it will look like a, the rantings of a crazy person because <laughs> there's no rhyme or reason there's no yeah just yeah it's burn those <laughs> my magazine collection burn all those <laughs> then, yeah. what's in your magazine collection 
Uh, I okay, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> Old National okay. Geographic's like, like, right. yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, I want to let people know once again the latest album by Proto Barter is The Agent Intellect, which is out now via Hardly Art Records. And the band continues to tour extensively around the world, including upcoming Canadian stops in Guelph, which is that's how you yes. say it, Guelph, Ottawa, Guelph. Montreal, and Calgary. That's all uh, throughout May and June. And for more information, people can visit protomartyrband.com or hardlyart.com uh, Joe is there a song from the Agent Intellect that we can go out on uh, yeah I'm going to pick one that um, has been killing it on tour and I couldn't be happier because I think it's one that uh, is my secret favorite but it changes but for right now Clandestine Time is my go to song on the album do you have a sense of why it's killing it so to speak I think it's because it's not I think for people that have only heard the singles or what's been released and maybe not heard the album it kind of comes as a surprise and it comes near the end of the usually we put it near the end of the set and uh, we kind of let it all hang out on that one and I do a lot of yelling <laughs> because <laughs> on, on the recorder version I like I was able just to go like use a lot of like studio trickery to kind of keep my voice going throughout the song yeah and i can't you know we have not gotten to the point to have a sound guy on tour so i have to figure out a way to do it and so and the band just really uh puts their back into it on that one on on, on live but i think recorded it's it's like a it's a pretty song okay and when we do it live it kind of punches you in the face <laughs> all mm-hmm. right well let's see let's hear it. let's punch some people in the face right now yeah. with this Recorded pretty, it's pretty, but recorded. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. This yeah. is cl- Clandestine Time by uh, Proto Martyr. Uh, Joe, this was a, a real pleasure. I hope you enjoyed yourself, and thank you for being on this show, and best of yeah. luck with everything. Thank you. Clandestine Time The small unseen Do the job while the minutes stick by. I live a bridge from life for the into abstraction. And I'm the cause. The proof we are here is the dust that.
That was Clandestine Time by Proto Martyr from their new album, The Agent Intellect. Special thanks to Joe Casey of the band Proto Martyr for being on the show and fielding questions that were likely out of his comfort zone. But he fielded them like a champ, didn't he? Michigan politics and whatnot. I didn't know where we were going to go with that. And if he had right at the beginning said, I don't know anything about that stuff, then I would have let it go. But he clearly knew a lot about it, and I found that very interesting. So thanks again, Joe. Proto Martyr are great. I've seen them a couple times. I love them. The records are all great. Go see Proto Martyr. They are on tour, actually, uh, right now. Depending on where you're listening, they're in Europe uh, all throughout uh, March and April, and then they're back again in July. Uh, but in May and some of June, they are in North America, including Guelph. That's exciting. They're coming to the E-Bar in Guelph on May 3rd, so I don't have to go very far. That's right near my house. I'm excited to see Proto Martyr in my my town. That's going to be fun. All right, well, if you want to listen to Creative Control of Vishkana, it's on iTunes, audioboom.com, vishkana.com. There's a Patreon page for the show where you can make a flexible monthly donation. Uh, to the program. Also, we're on Facebook. Creative Control of Vishkana is there on Facebook. We're on Twitter at Vish Creative. I'm at Vishkana. You can listen to this show every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph or worldwide at CFRU.ca. We have lots of big events coming up. I urge you again, if you're in the Toronto area, to come see me at the Spur Festival on April 8th at the Transac and uh, maybe even more significantly at the Drake Underground to uh, see me do a live podcast taping with Nathan Lore of the Minotaurs and Pia Chattopadha of CBC Radio. That show is presented by Massey Hall. They'd like to work with me, and I'd like to work with them, but there needs to be some ticket sales to justify that. So if you haven't yet, please do buy your tickets to that show, April 9th at the Drake Underground at 8 p.m., and if you have any questions about that, contact creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. And I will try to hook you up with uh, a deal. Okay? All right, that's it for me. More shows to come, as always. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Goodbye for now. Rest in peace, Gary Shandling. Miss you, buddy. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts.
ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>